Um, as Tom said, we're reading from John chapter 13 and verses 31 to 38. It's on page 900 in the Blue Bibles. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, and you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down my li your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you've denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Well, do keep that passage open. I'll be uh, referring back to that as we uh, consider our, our topic this morning, which is uh, being a loving community. We um, started our sort of series of four last week looking at, you know, who are we at Cornerstone Church Colchester? And last week we were thinking about we want to start everything in the home. We want to be a church that has discipleship very much focused in the domestic sphere. And uh, today we're looking at the topic, the loving community, we, we have a sort of strap line where we're seeking to be a loving community, growing in Jesus Christ through word and spirit. So we're looking at each of those phrases uh, today in the next couple of weeks. But what does it mean that we are a loving community? Wouldn't every church say, yeah, we're a loving community? I mean, no church is going to say, nah, nah, loving community, we don't want to be that. No, of course not. Every church would understand itself to be a loving community, and yet, this might be news to some of us, not every church is a loving community. Maybe some of us have horror stories of churches that turn out not to be loving communities. And perhaps it's because of those experiences that some of the uh, church notice board mistakes or church notice sheet mistakes are so funny, but I was thinking, are these going to work? Because they work better written down. I'll send you on the church WhatsApp group um, all of these. Uh, I find it very difficult to read through the whole lot. There's about a hundred of them without cracking up. But here's just three. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church. Uh, the outreach committee has enlisted 25 visitors to make calls on people who are not afflicted with any church. Uh, smile at someone who's hard to love. Say hell to someone who doesn't care much about you. You can perhaps work out what the changes should be. I'll send them round. See, sadly, often churches that will say they are a loving community are often very different behind the scenes. So how can we ensure that at Cornerstone Church Colchester we don't go the same way? 
I'm glad. It's a joy that we are a loving community. We are all enjoying that quality to our community, but we need not be complacent. What happens if we fall out? We're all sinners. It will happen at some point. So what does it mean for us to be a loving community in an authentic way? What does it mean for us to be a loving community in an authentic way? I just want to give you two minutes to turn to your neighbours and try and answer that question. If you don't want to think about that question, that's fine. You can just uh, sit and sort of mull that over on your own. That's totally fine. Or maybe talk to the people around you. What would make this church, this community, authentically loving? What would it look like? Two minutes. Off you go. I'm not going to ask for any feedback. Just to talk. Well, um, do be continuing those conversations after the sermon, and I hope uh, what we're going to look at now will really help us and inform us how we are to be a loving community and how we sustain that. But let's pray, because we need the help of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to help us understand what it truly means to love one another. Father, we thank you and praise you that you sent your Son into the world because of your great love for the world. And Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you have demonstrated the love that you have for us by dying on the cross. Lord, we're sorry that we so quickly and easily reject your love, live as if it's not the most important thing in the universe. So Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you are here with us now. Please help us by your Holy Spirit to be convicted and convinced in our hearts of your great love for us and the love to which you call all those who trust in Jesus. Amen. Well, if we are to be a loving community, we need to take seriously not just Jesus' command to love, but what he means by that word, love. Because love is a word that's banded around with a variety of meanings, isn't it? And those meanings can seep in to our understanding of love. Love is all you need. Can you feel the love tonight? I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. I'd love a burger. See, love is too important to be reduced to a feeling, an appetite, an urge. Love is too important to be reduced to what we feel in the present without memory of the past or hope of the future, without morality or beauty. How does Jesus define love? That's the question. If we're to be a loving community, if we're to come into a community and live like Jesus lived, we need to know what his definition of love was. Two points. Love each other practically, like Jesus Christ, to be blessed. Love each other practically like Jesus Christ to be blessed and love each other sacrificially like Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. So firstly, love each other practically like Jesus Christ to be blessed. We had our reading from the Upper Room Discourse, uh, John chapter 13, so do turn back to that with me, page 900. And we pick it up at verse 3. Jesus has gathered his disciples, they're eating the, the Passover in the upper room, they're reclining, 
and verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped Round him. Jesus knew he had come into the world from God, his heavenly Father. He was going back to God, his heavenly Father, through the cross and his resurrection, his ascension. And so what does he do? He takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel round his waist, and as we were thinking about with the children, washed his disciples' feet from all the dung. This was the slave's job. This is how he showed his love for them. He, he took the place of a slave. It is the slave's job in the ancient world to wash the feet of the guests, not the master's job. And he was about to die the death of a slave. So when Peter objects, what is Jesus' response? Verse 8. Peter said to him, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This was an acted parable. Jesus was showing them practically his love for them, which would be fully and finally demonstrated at the cross, which would cleanse his disciples. And so if Peter was worried about being cleansed by Jesus, he would have no part with him because Jesus must clean his disciples, must forgive them, must die for them. And a picture of that was Jesus washing their feet. And this is what Jesus explains in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant or a slave is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you and me if we do them. Are we following this example of Jesus? If we're those who've been cleansed by his death, if we've called on the Lord Jesus to, to take the punishment for our sins, we've trusted in him, we know that we're forgiven, we're given the Holy Spirit, are we following his example of practical love to be blessed, of foot washing for one another? It may not be foot washing. Do we ever think to ourselves, well, it's, it's not my job to do that. Cleaning the toilet, putting out the chairs, hoovering for church, changing nappies, doing the unseen admin, the practical nitty gritty side of life. But Jesus shows his disciples that is where a love like Jesus' love is seen. Unblocking drains, mowing the lawns, doing the minutes, the jobs without dignity which are left to the lowest of the low Jesus did. 
the one who lived in unapproachable light, the one who is eternal, who dwells in heaven in eternity, came down into this world, took on flesh so he could love like that. And if we follow him, we will be blessed. See, we can't ever say to ourselves, can we? I don't have time to do those jobs. I have higher things to be involved in. We, we can't say to ourselves, well, I'm preparing to preach. I don't have time to do the washing up. I'm preparing the, the, the children's talk. I can't get dinner ready. No servant is above his master. No messenger is above the one who sent him. If Jesus lived like this and gave his disciples this example, how dare we think that we're beneath it? That is to say that we are above our master, more spiritual than our master. It's the error of dualism that there's this sort of spiritual plane and the practical plane is somehow less spiritual. No, Jesus shattered that division. He came down from heaven and he showed us that love, true love, God's love, gets its hands dirty. In fact, more than that, gets its hands nailed to a cross, dying a slave's death. See, that's Jesus' definition of love. It's challenging, isn't it? Isn't it challenging? It's wonderful, too. Because he promises to us that if we live like this, we will be blessed. Now, at CCC, this is our perspective on what it means to be a loving community. It's a, it's a non-negotiable. It, it's to be something that is the mark of our community. When we do our membership course, we talk a lot about this because we're not to be above our master. Uh, and those who lead are to lead in the same pattern, servant leadership. Anyone who leads in a church should be leading like Jesus led. It doesn't mean necessarily that I or others do all the practical jobs, but no Christian leader should be above putting out the chairs again or hoovering before church comes round again, or doing the painful admin again, or printing off the music again, or setting up tech again, and again, and again. Because you, need, you get to that point where you think, why am I doing this? And it is a blessing to be reminded, and an encouragement for those of us who do this. Well, because that's how Jesus led. That's what Jesus did. I can only do this by union with my Lord and Master. Only his spirit dwelling within me can help me serve, doing the unseen, dirty jobs again and again and again. And we want to apply this into all our relationships in church life, don't we? As we start everything the home, it means that this kind of leadership starts in marriage those of us who are married. It starts in friendship, those of us who have close friendships. But particularly in marriage, I've, I've been reading uh, several articles of late in the Times newspaper. I do read other ones, but that's the one I've got on my phone, in which women bemoan the fact that women's liberation has not reduced the amount of domestic chores they do. It's just added a job to what they already did. It's not to be the case in a Christian marriage. 
if men take their responsibilities seriously, they are to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ sacrificed himself for the church. So those of us who are husbands, knowing this means that we can't pretend that we're doing the spiritual stuff if we're not doing the practical stuff, changing nappies, cleaning toilets, hoovering, cleaning, dusting, cooking, if that's left to our wives, we are not leading like Jesus led. And if we aspire to leadership in the church, we're, are we looking for the lowliest practical jobs to do? Is that what we're thinking? Oh, I'd love to be involved in Cornerstone. Let me at the practical jobs, because that's what Jesus did. Are we keen to put out the chairs, to clear up the mess at the end, to take care of the kids, to do the hard work of cooking or cleaning or unseen admin or, or setup? If we are, we are blessed because that's how Jesus led. That's how disciples are to live. Practical, costly, lowly, dirty jobs. It's the only way that the joy of the Lord will be our strength, isn't it? Because it's only his joy that he sees beyond the cross that enables him to love like this selflessly and to go to the cross. And it's not just in our community that this kind of leadership is to be expressed amongst us or discipleship. It's to spill out into public life. I know some of you will be going back to work this coming week. Uh, others of you have been working all the way through the summer. Imagine that work meeting when all the tasks are divvied up. And you know that that's that moment when somebody's asked to do something and everybody thinks it's beneath them. Isn't, isn't there? The skivvy job. Well, that's ours. That's when we put up our hand. I'll, I'll do that. Because that's what our master did. Nelson Mandela, who suffered prison for 27 years and then became president of, the, of South Africa, said, in living out this principle in his life, forgiveness starts here, in one's own life. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. That was in his public life. He was living out forgiveness. And we saw that, didn't we? Or Mother Teresa, I found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt only more love. See, we come to church thinking not what our church can do for us, but what we can do for our church, what we can serve others practically in a costly way. And if we're all doing that, we will be a loving community, won't we? Because we'll all be living like Jesus. And yet churches can so often and so quickly become infected by the spirit of the age, which is, does this church fulfill my needs? What do I get from this church, not what can I give? So love each other practically like Jesus Christ to be blessed. And then secondly, and more briefly, love each other sacrificially like Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ. Now, between the foot washing and the passage we had read, Jesus deals with Judas, the one who betrays him. And he warns Judas in love. He predicts Peter's betrayal. And he predicts Judas's 
uh, sorry, Judas's betrayal, so the disciples are not rocked by it. So they know this was always going to happen. And then once Judas has left, Jesus says these words in verse 31. So look at verse 31 with me. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Son of Man is just Jesus' uh, title for himself. It's a divine title. He's claiming to be God from Daniel 7. Now is the time for the Son of Man, for Jesus to be glorified. And God will be glorified in him, or because God is at work in him, in his death and resurrection. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. You see, in John's Gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus is his glory. It is the glory of God. Why is the death of Jesus his glory? Well, as the rest of John's Gospel makes clear, when Jesus died, it was his victory over everything that stands against us. On the cross, he defeated Satan. He threw out Satan, the enemy of our souls. How? How did he do this? Well, Satan rightly accuses us before God of all the, the wrong things we've done, all the attitudes of our hearts that are evil, all the ways in which we don't love God and don't love our neighbors as ourselves. So we, we deserve rightly the punishment of God. Jesus taught more than anybody else about heaven and hell. He knew that without his work on the cross, we would go to hell because of our breaking of God's law, our alienation from God. But out of love, he comes into the world to get rid of Satan by taking the punishment that we deserve. So there's nothing left for Satan to accuse us of. It's a great big swap. I know this is familiar to, to many of us, but it's such an important thing to keep before our minds, isn't it? When Jesus died on the cross, he was, if you like, righteous. He always lived under the, the, the favor of God. He never did anything wrong. He never once sinned. And yet we have a book full of stuff that we know that we've done wrong. We know that we've got hearts which are twisted. If we were to stand before God, we would be judged. And Satan loves to accuse us of that. The record of all our wrongs. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for our sin to be dealt with. He was made sin on the cross and dealt with all our sin. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might live to righteousness, so that we can come into a relationship with God and we can live in the light. Jesus has done all that for us. And he dealt with sin, rose from the... I'm not going to throw the Bible away. Uh, he, he dealt with our sin and rose again from the dead so that we can have a new life, a life that goes on forever, that will bring us hope in life because our place in heaven is assured. Jesus has won it for us. That is his glory. He's done it all. We've been singing about it. Jesus loves me. He loves you if you trust in him. This is his glory that he shows mercy on people like you and me and makes us right with God forever, perfectly, wonderfully. And he did it all by his death on the cross. It's why the cross is the symbol of the Christian faith, is it not?
I don't know if you've been following the, the tragic circumstances of uh, Sergeant Graham Saville. Have you heard of that story in the news? The, the policeman who died on, on Tuesday after going to the plight of a 29-year-old man who was uh, distressed near the railway uh, and electrocuted and survived because of Graham Saville's actions. Because of Graham Saville, the oncoming train did not hit that man. Instead, it hit Graham Saville. Tragically, and he, he died. Colleagues have said he courageously and selflessly was prepared to risk his life to save another. And another colleague said he was everything you would want in a police officer. He was caring, compassionate, strong, determined, and generally all-round good professional police officer. We, we get sacrifice like that. Somebody putting their life on the line to save another. And we, for Christians here this morning, we've understood what Jesus has done for us. There was something coming our way far more dangerous than an oncoming train. The justice of God. And Jesus put himself in the place of us to save us, to get us out of the way of it. And can we, I wonder, this morning, say with the Apostle Paul, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say that? That's what a Christian can say. God loves me because of what Jesus has done, because of his sacrificial death, which is his glory. And yet, and we, we need to enjoy that, don't we? That security we have in what God has done for us. And yet, verse 34, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. They're going to understand a lot more than they do at this point in time about his love. But this is what he commands in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have that kind of love for one another. It's not a feeling kind of love only, is it? It does have joy involved with it. It's a sacrificial kind of love, is it not? Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you know that love? It's the most important thing in your life to come to know that love, the, the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we welcome anybody who wants to come and find out more about that love. Uh, and many of us have come to know that love in Jesus Christ. It's that kind of love we are to show one another. I don't know if you've ever been in love. Anybody here been in love? Who was it? Can you, can you remember them? <laughs> Who is it? Maybe you're still in love. Or, or maybe that feeling has faded. Well, here is a deeper love. A love that we were made for. A, a love that God had for us before anything was made. A love that will exist 
forever, eternity, beyond the grave. It's more than a feeling, isn't it? I mean, let's not decry feelings. But this love is much bigger than the feelings of temporary affection we might have or falling in love, which then we may fall out of love or we have to keep working at staying in love. No, this love never leaves you because it is from the unchanging and eternal God. And knowing this love is knowing the person of Jesus Christ, being united to him. Do you know that love? And if you do, it means we can show that love. It's what we mean by being a loving community. It's to love in actions and practicalities. It's sacrificial. It costs us because it comes from Jesus and is like the love Jesus has shown. It's not an optional extra in the Christian life. It's not the icing on the cake. It's the cake. It's to be seen in our Christian friendships, in our Christian marriages, in our Christian families, in our in our church life and out into the world so that other people can see these people love each other in such a way that cannot be explained by urges or money or what they gain from it because it's costly, it's sacrificial. You see, it won't be a comfortable experience being part of a community like this, will it? Because it will be practical and sacrificial. Oh, but the joy of it, the joy of being on the receiving end of that is, is wonderful, is it not? As we serve others, so they also will serve us in the same way that Jesus served and loved and sacrificed. As we, as a community, show this kind of love, who will people experience amongst us? Who? Who? They'll experience Jesus Christ because he's the one who will be doing it. It's not just talking about it, is it? It's easy for churches to talk about this. We need to be those practically showing it. And it will cost us something. Jesus says if anybody wants to follow him, they must take up their cross, deny themselves and follow him. <laughs> That's not because it's a sort of masochistic self-flagellating life. No, it's because this life is the most wonderful life to lead because Jesus is the most precious treasure to live for. The best way of preserving a loving community is not talking about Jesus' love, but practicing it in him, by him, for him, so that others will see him. Now, I just want to finish by reading uh, Philippians 2, which sort of sums up far more uh, better. <laughs> That's not even English, is it? Um, better than I can. And, and just see how Paul commands the, the, the Philippian church to live because of this kind of love. I'll just read it, and then we'll close in prayer. So Philippians 2, you'll find it on page 9. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility 
Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours, is yours in Christ Jesus, where in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.